engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is a busy day in news. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We got a lot of local news to discuss and some entertainment news as well. Before I do any of that, let me just throw out the, uh, it's, I mean, metronomic regularity. We do this every three months at Christie's. Uh, lung scans are tomorrow, uh, so I'm obviously a nervous wreck today and will be tomorrow. Uh, we'll be with her up at Emory, so prayers appreciated for that. Um, she'll be up there in the morning first thing with her scans by herself, and then I'll meet her up there for the doctor's appointment. But yeah, I always get a nervous wreck, and she was so sick in, in March and all, and it just, anyway, prayers appreciated. I, we think she's fine. No, We have no suspicions of worry, but it always just stresses you out. So now... Uh, John Ossoff. Uh, remember that guy? That guy, he ran against Karen Handel. Uh, Karen Handel, a special election for Tom Price's district. Karen Handel won, and John Ossoff uh, lost. He was a, a, he was a phenomenon. He was a pre-Beto phenomenon. And now that Stacey Abrams has decided that she's not going to run, well, here's John Ossoff. As for my future, I don't know. We will see. I'll take a look at the U.S. Senate race. I want to make sure we have the strongest possible candidate to challenge David Perdue. Whether or not, whether or not I'm a candidate, I'll work to defeat David Perdue. I know I'm a viewer too because we need, in Georgia, we need a senator who has the decency to stand up for people who are suffering, who has the skill to deliver the resources, that Georgia needs and who has the integrity to uphold the standards of conduct that we expect from our elected officials. Now, there's a noticeable bit here that we should pay attention to. Uh, John Ossoff says that it, we need someone with the skills to deliver the the care Georgia needs or the help Georgia needs. Uh, this is a line I've also heard Stacey Abrams use it in her criticisms of David Perdue, and I suspect this is going to be the line the Democrats use to try to beat him, uh, and it's not his fault. What this is in reference to is South Georgia. South Georgia handed Brian Kemp a big win, and the Democrats have recognized to some degree they're going to have to pick off some voters in South Georgia in order to beat David David Perdue in 2020 and the president in 2020. So they need to make a plea to farmers. Uh, one of the things that Stacey Abrams did that did not help her at all is, is shortly after the hurricane wiped out crops in South Georgia, she made that statement in South Georgia about how people shouldn't feel like they need to work in, in the agriculture industry in Georgia, that there are better jobs out there. Uh, very disparaging comments that offended a lot of farmers down in South Georgia who may not have necessarily gone to vote for Brian Kemp beforehand, but certainly went out in droves and voted for him after after that. Well, now the Democrats have been blocking aid to South Georgia. They're doing so because they want more money for Puerto Rico. The president has decided he doesn't want to spend any more money helping Puerto Rico recover from its uh, hurricane. Uh, he wants to help Georgia, but the Democrats are blocking any bill in the Senate through the filibuster unless they get more aid for Puerto Rico. David Perdue and Johnny Isaacson have been at the forefront of this, trying to get the aid package through the Congress so that they can help the farmers and others in South Georgia who are still suffering. I realize 
we in the Atlanta area don't necessarily understand or pay attention to this stuff unless we have family in South Georgia. But uh, there's still a lot of devastation down there because of the hurricane that blew through last year. There's a lot of devastation in farms. Uh, a lot of houses are still to be rebuilt. Um, a lot of power lines and industry down there. Uh, the private companies have come in and repair that stuff. Some of it helping the government fix infrastructure. But there's still a lot of money owed down there to people through various federal insurance programs and other disaster relief funds. They haven't gotten that money. It's been held up because of Puerto Rico. And frankly, I think we do need to do more with Puerto Rico. I think the president is wrong on this. The president seems to be under some impression that we've given Puerto Rico more money than we've actually given them. There is real criticism about how the money in Puerto Rico has been spent. But that's no matter where we go, there's going to be criticism of how the money is spent. In Puerto Rico, frankly, I think there should be a federal investigation. But that does not mean that the government has given Puerto Rico however much money the president claims they've gotten. They've gotten actually less than what the president claims they've gotten and that's a problem we should not however while having that fight hold uh american citizens in the united states who can actually vote in presidential elections and whatnot hostage to puerto rico we should be able to deal maturely with these things democrats however want to hold it all hostage and frankly i think they're hoping that they can hurt david Perdue by holding up the funds to south georgia the democrats are essentially hurting south georgia farmers hoping that they'll blame david Perdue and not the democrats I don't think the Democrats understand the way this game works, but nonetheless, they are playing a game with it. And Purdue and Isaacson are doing his best, are doing their best to get the money. John Ossoff uh, attacking David Purdue over this issue. Stacey Abrams attacking David Purdue over this issue. You can see pretty clearly there's some level of coordination in this. Ossoff on the other, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. The guy disappears. I assume he's gotten married. Someone noted on um oh what was it on google if you put in has john ossoff you know google makes suggestions and the very first suggestion is gotten married Uh, apparently he did get married congratulations to him it wasn't just a campaign ploy now we have other news in georgia this we need to go to david the the david ralston story by the way governor d uh, governor governor kemp is going to sign the feel heartbeat legislation tomorrow we'll get into that here in a little bit right now though the the david ralston situation is escalating um not necessarily in ways anyone predicted the republican convention i guess it's is it this weekend in savannah people keep asking if i'm going to the republican convention i'm not going to the republican convention uh maybe i should go to the republican convention if it's this weekend though it's mother's day and and that's a terrible time to have a political convention, uh, which also precludes me from being able to go. But nonetheless, um, a lot of people starting to wonder what's going to happen at the convention on David Ralston. A series of activists have tried to file and some local uh, Republican parties have passed resolutions calling on David Ralston to resign. Uh, the, I am told it's next weekend. Thank you, Martha Zoller. Uh, it is next weekend. Maybe I should go. I, I don't know. I always feel, I don't know, out, out of place in play, in. in settings like that maybe i'll go though in any event will there be resolutions calling on the speaker to resign there may very well be resolutions on the floor entertained pushed forward advanced by activists on um whether or not david rawson should resign there are a growing number of metro atlanta uh, republican parties that are aware he is beginning to be a burden on republicans 
Democrats are now more openly talking about, once they get through the next legislative session, using David Ralston against Republicans. Amazingly, and this actually does amaze me, um, calls have kind of gone, so people have given up. Uh, and I am told by a number of members of the state legislature that now is actually the time to uh, push the issue on Ralston um, resigning. The reason being is because now that they're out of session, people have largely gotten their legislation passed and people need to understand this issue hasn't gone away. People need to understand that now is the time to take action. Now is the time to tell state legislators we still care about this issue. Most of the state legislators were under the impression that once they got out of the state legislature, once they got out of the uh, pressure pot of the active legislative assembly, that people would disappear. They would stop uh, calling on this issue. People would, they would basically just go away. And essentially that's what's happened. And, you know, I can only devote so many minutes of this program on a daily basis to talking about things like that. But the reason I bring it up is because with the state convention going forward, you have legislators who will be headed to Athens. And in these legislators heading to, or not Athens, to Savannah for the state convention, and they're going to be encountering activists. And in encountering activists, well, these activists may want them to know that it's still time for the speaker to go. And it may be time, actually, you know, if you text the word speaker to 345-345, you can still get on our Action Center at The Resurgent and reach out to your state representatives and make sure they still understand that you care about this issue, uh, that it is still time for the speaker to go. Uh, you still care. He's still there. And by the way, there are going to be more stories coming out. I'm told exceedingly reliably that there will be more stories about the speaker coming out soon. And this is going to be an issue that the media is going to drag out about the speaker. It's probably going to be raised at the state state uh, Republican convention. Activists are going to demand that people pick a side on this issue, and they're going to hold politicians accountable. Frankly, it might be a good time to get your legislator start asking the governor and, and the lieutenant governor to say something behind the scenes to the speaker. Um, because we know it's going to be a political liability for Republicans. you got some Republicans, by the way, in the metro Atlanta area who are starting to freak out about the speaker and they're not even in the state house uh you got some of these swing districts and by the way there's growing worry among republicans in the state that they are going to lose the state house next year because of the way some of these seats are drawn that's going to cause redistricting problems they could neutralize this issue they could make this issue go away if they threw the speaker under the bus so to speak told him to be gone you know who the new speaker would be jan jones a female republican do you really think Democrats are going to want to battle Jan Jones? I mean, just the image alone improves the situation for Republicans immediately. It's probably time to build pressure behind the scenes on some state legislators, some of the leadership, to tell the speaker it's time to take a walk, a very long walk where he doesn't come back. It's going to be an issue. The Democrats are already saying it's going to become an issue. And with the state convention next weekend in Savannah, the activists in the Republican Party intend to make it an issue. And the media is going to feed off of that. All of these generating a feedback loop that makes it very bad for Republicans headed into 2020 if the speaker stays.
It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Y'all, so I want to deviate a little bit when we come back. Um, there is a, well, how do I frame this for you? Um, it is, it's relevant news. Uh, the Avengers has crossed the $2 billion dollar market is the fastest movie to pass two billion dollars it did it in just two weekends it is probably going to become the highest grossing movie of all time um it's a, it's a pretty big deal and i want to talk when we come back about some of the issues with political correctness um relating to the avengers because uh, now that people have had time to see it, I, I, I'm going to try not to give spoilers away. I'm, I, I shouldn't give spoilers away because I know there's still a lot of people see it. I, I took my son finally to see it, and we were in a sold-out theater the second week in a row. That's kind of unheard of these days with movies, given the saturation of movies, to still be in an over to be in a sold-out movie theater situation at 2 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. But we were. Uh, a lot of people still wanted to see this movie. As well, uh, there's. I want to rebuttress a point I made on Friday about conversations in the media. Now, before we get to any of that, I, I do want to ask you. In addition to to keep my family in your prayers, pray for the people in Israel. Um, the rocket attacks have stopped, but there have been over 700 rocket attacks by Hamas terrorists from Gaza. And I've got to tell you, for all the hand wringing in the media over. Uh, anti-Semitism and the rise of anti-Semitism on the right, you can see the anti-Semitism in the media and how they've covered the rocket attacks in Israel. The bias has been staggering, including the media uh, distorting a, a baby killed in Gaza by a rocket that appears to be a misfired Hamas rocket, and they're blaming Israel for the audacity of shooting down the rocket. It's just horrific, the bias out there in the media right now on the story. are open here 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK Avengers passed two billion dollars the fastest a movie has ever passed two billion dollars gross worldwide uh, I took my son to see I got a preview of it that I was I couldn't even tell people at the station I had seen it I uh, couldn't even tell my wife and kids I had seen it uh, they only found out the other day when I my daughter was telling me something about the movie and I said I know and and filled in the blank for her that she was dangling over my head as if she knew something I did not know. Um, but I took my son to see it, and it has passed $2 billion. And, and there, there's a point to be made here and, and why I'm I'm a little bit worried about where Marvel is headed. This has been an 11-year project. And whether, you, whether you're into superhero movies or not, and I know a lot of people aren't, I, I think it's worth commenting on the fact, as I mentioned the other day, that uh, this is essentially a TV series. Um, you had the episode one Iron Man, um, then you, you had Thor, you introduced Captain America, you went back to Iron Man, went back to Thor, went back to Captain America, introduced others along the way, Ant-Man was introduced, uh, Black Panther was introduced, Captain Marvel was introduced, and they put them all together for the uh, series finale. 
and series finale is Avengers Endgame. Uh, but over time, what has happened as well is uh, there have been a lot of social justice warrior pressure on Marvel to do things, and we're starting to see Marvel do that. For example, there, there's a, a report out that uh, Marvel says that they do want to have fat superheroes so that, that fat people feel good about themselves. Uh, they have Captain Marvel, who is um, almost explicitly their first lesbian superhero. Um, she an ambiguously uh, lesbian relationship uh, Captain Marvel has in in the Captain Marvel film, and he, she's also the feminist superhero. She's the one that you gotta support because you support women, she, she, girl power, and all of that nonsense. And I, this is indicative of where modern feminism is. That in modern feminism, uh, you don't really have a woman; you have a a male without the male anatomy. But uh, the the female superhero is in every way equivalent to the male superheroes. And in fact, Marvel has made her the most powerful superhero. She's vastly more powerful than any other superhero. She is, in fact, not a character. She is a plot device. And we see this uh, in uh, Captain Marvel where the best scenes are the ones without her or where she's playing second fiddle to a better actor. She, Brie Larson is not a great actress. And I realize that she won an award. And before you yell at me, the president won the Electoral College. So there. Um, she's not a great actor. She falls flat on the screen. She does in this movie as well, falls very flat on the screen. And she is a plot device. She is a plot device to get certain people to certain places and do certain things as a way to move scenes along. And that's it. That's when she's called up. Compare and contrast this feminist superhero. And by the way, I do believe that the reason that Brie Larson, the actress, went all woke, super woke social justice warrior nonsense in the last few months as Captain Marvel has rolled out, which wasn't a bad movie. I enjoyed it. But I think the reason she did is as a way to dismiss the criticisms of both her performance and the way the character is used. If you don't like the fact that they have super woke, um, quasi-lesbian superhero uh, in, in ambiguous relationship with other woman who flies around and can do what everybody else can't do and is very broy and loves Nirvana and classic rock like all the guys do. Well, then you must be a misogynist hater bigot. Contrast her to how Marvel handled Scarlett Johansson's character, who is a better actress all all together. Scarlett Johansson for eleven years has played Black Widow. At first, you didn't realize that's who she was. She just came on board as as an assistant to Tony Stark. I guess uh, nine years ago. Um, it turns out she was uh, the assassin Black Widow from um, the, the Avengers. And Marvel never really invested in her character. But look at her character in, in the way her character arc ends in, Aven in Avengers Endgame, where there is real emotional power, people crying in the theater. And she never had to be the, the bro-woke character. She never had to be the equivalent of the guy. She was always a very feminine character. She she wore heels and could kill people. She's awesome. And the guys respected her. She brought out the best in the men. She played the role of a traditional female leader. She brought out the best in the people around them without reflecting them. She did not have to be bro and, and uh, take shot for shot like the guys. And you could totally see that if they were to do this with Captain Marvel, the scene would involve Captain Marvel going shot for shot with Captain America and drinking him under the table and then belching. And, and everyone, yeah, she's just like the guys. He never had to do that. With the Black Widow character, she was always feminine, she was always female, and she could always slit your throat. And her character arc ends uh, very emotionally for all of the characters, and her presence and lack of presence deeply resonates in the movie in a way that Captain Marvel's does not. 
who is, again, a plot device. And as we move forward in this, well, I mean, and take Black Panther as well. If you haven't seen Black Panther, it's actually one of the better Marvel movies. It is actually a very enjoyable movie. And it, a lot of people wanted it to check the boxes. And, and there were some things that Marvel used it for to check the boxes. But by and large, in and of itself, it was a great movie. Uh, it was it had black actors in it, not because social justice warriors demanded it, because but because that's what the characters demanded. That's what the roles demanded. And it worked. It worked in a way that Captain Marvel did not work because they were not trying to shoehorn in things to check social justice warrior boxes. And that's the same way with Natasha Romanoff. And, and it, it, the interesting thing is they're now going to do a Black Widow film. And it's interesting, given, given all the events of Endgame, how are they going to do that? I guess it's going to be retrospective. It's going to be a, a how she began. And they missed a real opportunity to develop this property and in large part, they missed an opportunity to develop a property that might would resonate with my daughter and other people's daughters because sh- they couldn't understand how to do a, a feminine character who guys wanted to see. It's just uh, that's pitiful. Uh, they missed an opportunity there. Relatedly, to a point I made, uh, let me just stick with entertainment here and round, round all this out. Uh, let me give you... Last night at 11.58 p.m. in Atlanta on Twitter. These are the trending topics on Twitter at 11.58 p.m. last night. Uh, the trending topics in Atlanta. Cersei, Danny, Sansa, Brienne, Tyrion, Jamie, Daenerys, Missandei, Varys. Now, if you don't recognize any of those names, you're not watching Game of Thrones. This relates to to what I mentioned in passing on Friday. I'm beginning to believe that the Netflix, Amazon, Hulu strategy of rolling out series and putting all the episodes out at once is missing something. And it's missing something that can't be duplicated. Like, how many of you know Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale is on Hulu. I thought it was Amazon Prime. It's Hulu. Uh, Or Man in the High Castle. Or The Marvelous Miss Maisel or Stranger Things, or The Crown, or Daredevil, or Jessica Jones. If you know about those, I suspect what you know is the general parameters of the show. With Handmaid's Tale, you know the the costumes. You know how the left has adopted these things. Um, You know the individual parameters of those shows. You know what the characters are about. You know what the show is about. But... um, you don't actually know anything about individual episodes, do you? You don't really know any of the individual episodes of Stranger Things, do you? What do you know about Game of Thrones? Even if you haven't watched a single episode of Game of Thrones, you probably heard the Red Wedding referenced. You have probably in the last week heard about the Long Night reference. You've probably heard about um, Arya Stark and the Faceless Men reference. You've probably heard about the ending of season one where they kill the character the entire show is centered around. You've probably heard about various scenes in various episodes, some of which were very violent. You've heard about these things over time because like with Billions on Showtime, like with this, like with what happened with The Wire, what happened with so many culturally resonant shows, 
an episode is dropped on a Sunday night in, in Game of Thrones case, and everybody who really wants to watch it watches it, much like a sporting event. You watch it that night. Uh, you're not going to really worry the next day about giving away spoilers because almost everyone has watched the show. Uh, they, at worst, you got about 48 hours in, and everybody talks about that particular episode. And, oh, my goodness, can you believe that happened? Like last night, for example, uh, someone left a Starbucks cup on a table. So you're watching Game of Thrones. You're like, wait a second, is that a Starbucks cup on the table? Uh, they forgot to take it out when they were filming one of the scenes. Um, you talk about these things and you talk about these episodes as opposed to the general parameters of the series. You're talking about individual episodes. And what's great now with HBO and Showtime and the like is you can go binge watch all the prior episodes of Game of Thrones to catch up to this moment. So you can start joining in the water cooler conversation on a Monday with your with your office coworkers in a way you can't about Stranger Things, The Crown, Daredevil, The Handmaid's Tale, The Marvelous Miss Basil, Man in the High Castle, where you don't know who's seen what. You have no idea. There's no collective shared experience like there is with the sporting event or like there is with this uh, episode by episode released once a week. I think there's something to be said for the HBO Showtime model where everyone has been thinking, oh, Netflix is going to eat their lunch. Netflix is going to dominate. Netflix is going to do all these things. And yet no one's talking about any individual episode of anything that's ever come out on Netflix in the way they've been talking about this Game of Thrones episode or the Billions episode or the Wire episode or the Archer episode or, or you name it from television where everybody tunes in on night or a sporting broadcast or frankly, even something like the Avengers where everyone queues up in lines for sold out shows to go the first week if they can or the second week if they must. There, all of this conventional wisdom, it basically is the point I'm getting to, is so upside down, I think. It, it turns out that there actually is a model for the traditional television model of rolling out a series episode by episode, one week at a time, so that people build cultural resonance. And I think Netflix is missing out on an opportunity if they don't consider doing something like that. Maybe they will. Welcome back to the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Well, the Stacey Abrams farce continues. She was actually out in Texas this past weekend and all but said that her ongoing stunt of refusing to concede actually is a stunt, uh, that she's doing it to remind people of injustice and to whip Democrats into a frenzy to demand that they stay inspired for 2020. And it, it is somewhat nice that she's finally admitting that it is a bit of an act on her part to do this, to try to keep people angry. But I thought that she was priding herself on being able to bring people together. Not, not so much at this point. Kamala Harris spoke at an NAACP function and had this to say on Stacey Abrams. Let's say this loud and clear. Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum is the governor of Florida. So the truth is, we need a new Voting Rights Act. Oh, good grief. Um, the Democrats are really upset with the president for suggesting maybe he needs a couple extra years on his term because the Democrats so uh, tried to undermine him and undermine his administration. And, and they're flying into a frenzy of, oh, my goodness, he's going to he's going to ignore the election if we beat him. Um, no, he's not. 
But can you imagine? Uh, I mean, Chris Saliza, for example, from CNN was noting, what if the president were to go out and uh, deny the results of the election and say that the, the Democrats actually lost uh, and he actually won, but the Democrats actually won, and he goes around the country refusing to concede defeat, what would that do? And, and my response is, you mean he's doing an impression of Stacey Abrams? Because that's what this is, is Stacey Abrams refusing to concede. And she's refusing to concede for political reasons. She's not refusing to concede for real reasons, for meritorious reasons, for disputes in the election. No, she's refusing to do it because she wants to fundraise. She's refusing to do it because she wants to keep people divided. She's refusing to do it because she wants to fuel a grievance. We have become grievance mongers in society, and she is at the top of the pile and excelling at that. When we come back, the governor is going to sign fetal heartbeat. I'll bring you the details. Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Governor Kemp is going to sign the fetal heartbeat legislation. He's going to do so tomorrow. The Democrats are yet again screaming yet again screaming about it, uh, saying that people are going to rise up, rise up. Women in particular are going to rise up. It is really disconcerting to me how the media particularly covers these sorts of things when polling is very, very consistent that a majority of women in this country identify themselves as pro-life and support regulation um, and restrictions on abortion. You would never know that from the way the media covers it. And, of course, the Democrats play to this. And there is plenty of data, um, a f- able to plenty of data out there that shows, in fact, that um, the media is to the left of the American public on this issue. So, of course, the Democrats play to that and their base. Nonetheless, I, I do think it is possible that there are going to be some Republicans who lose next year. I really don't think it's going to be because of the fetal heartbeat legislation or the, the, yeah, the fetal heartbeat legislation. I don't think it's going to be because of abortion. Now they'll certainly portray it as such. I think a bigger issue for Republicans next year is going to be the David Ralston situation. I think you will see Republicans uh, battered and bruised over David Ralston next year in the suburbs. And they're going to do their best. The Democrats are to try to claim that it's all related together, treatment of women and on and on and on it goes. Man, y'all, Ralston is going to be a huge liability. He really is. Um, And there are some members of the state house who behind the scenes are circulating letters of support for him. But by and large, uh, a number of them really wish someone would save them from themselves. And that's kind of troubling when you think about it, that you have members of the state house who know Ralston needs to go, are too scared of him to do something themselves, and they are desperate for a Brian Kemp, Jeff Duncan-led coalition to publicly say or privately call Ralston to the governor's mansion and say, it's time for you to go. You're going to weigh us down. I can't stress enough to you that Republicans must do well next year on the ballot. They must. Why? Because of redistricting. Whoever wins next year is going to draw the lines for the next decade in Georgia. So Republicans have to win. They've got to keep the legislature in order to draw the lines. 
but there are going to be some really close races in the Atlanta suburbs. This also impacts the state party chairman's race. I wonder if either of the, so you've got Scott Johnson from Cobb County and uh, former uh, Lieutenant gubernatorial nominee and state Senator David Ralston running for state party chair. Now, uh, Scott Johnson is a great guy. Uh, and he would make a great party chairman. I'm supporting, I, I don't have a vote in the matter, but uh, David Ralston and I have been, or David Ralston, David Schaefer and I have been friends forever. And I would gladly support David Schaefer. I think he would be a natural at the job given his background, his years in politics, and the fact that he was an executive director of the state party back in the day when Republicans started making gains uh, in the state. Whoever is the state party chairman, though, are they going to stand up? You know, it would not surprise me if somebody stood up and tried to force one of them to take a position on this. Listen, it's going to be a liability issue. Everybody knows it's going to be a liability issue. The only people who don't think it's going to be a liability issue are the people who privately know it's going to be a liability issue or, but are too scared of David Ralston to say so. One of those guys stand up and say, uh, he needs to go. It's going to be very interesting to see, particularly with state party convention coming up in two weeks. Now, I need to switch gears to something local, uh, hyper-local, if you will, but relevant. There is a meeting coming up in 15 minutes in Hushton of the city council. Chris Joyner at the AJC has a story out today. The mayor of Hushton allegedly withheld a job candidate from consideration for city administrator because he's black. An AJC investigation, uh, they've dug in on this, and there are two members of city council who say that this happens. Happened. Uh, The candidate, well, you know what? I don't want to drag him into the news. It's not his fault. Uh, He was discriminated against. Um, but he said that as a black man applying for executive government positions in small Southern towns, he's not shocked, uh, if this was the case, he, he didn't recall hearing the mayor make any statements that suggest prejudice or hostility. But let me read you this. The mayor reportedly made her comments to a member of the Hushton city council in an overheard whisper during a closed door session of the council. May 4th councilwoman hope weeks said The mayor repeated them to her in the parking lot after the meeting, according to a document released by the city. The mayor proceeded to tell me that the candidate was real good, but he was black and we don't have a large black population. And she just didn't think Hushton was ready for it. So apparently the mayor of Hushton thinks that the people of Hushton are a bunch of racists. Now, Weeks confided with Councilwoman Susan Powers, and both of them went to the city attorney, Thomas Mitchell. Now, Weeks declined to be interviewed on the record, but issued a statement saying she was disappointed in the mayor's comments about the candidate. Quote, Mr. Henry was a very professional and qualified candidate who was a finalist for the position of city administrator before withdrawing to accept another position. I am thankful for the opportunity to serve the city, the citizens of Hushton, she said, but this has been one of the most challenging seasons of my life. According to a series of emails obtained by the AJC, a deal was made between Mitchell, that's the mayor, and the city's five elected officials to continue the hiring process. I'm sorry, not Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell is the city attorney. Um, so a deal was reached between Mitchell, the city attorney, the city's five elected officials. They would continue the process that'll and allow the mayor to attend, but the mayor would no longer be able to participate. She's not going to speak or ask questions, according to the city attorney. Um, 
it is absolutely staggering to me that this happened. It is staggering to me that the mayor of a city, and, and you know, we can say this is alleged, but what we have is a member of city council who says the mayor said this to me. That the mayor of Hushton said a candidate was unqualified because of the color of his skin. And why? Not because of his competence, not because she thought that that black people were somehow inferior, but because she thought the people of Hushton, Georgia, were too close-minded. She too many bigots in Hushton, according to the Hushton mayor. There's you a sign for the sign for the the welcome. Welcome to Hushton. Our mayor thinks we can't handle black people. Good Lord in heaven. There's a city council meeting at 530 tonight. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. Uh, but there's something else here that we need to talk about. A, a deeply, deeply, deeply troubling statement from one of the members of the council who is defending the mayor. Um, well, yeah, this is this is bad, folks. It, it actually is what the councilman says. Uh, and we need to get into that, and I don't have enough time in the segment, so you're going to have to bear with me here. But um, it's, this is not a good situation, and the mayor of Hushton probably needs to resign if she did this, and it looks like she did this. you got members of council saying that she said it to him, um, confirming the story. You've got the city council has taken action to ensure the mayor cannot continue on to participate in the interviews for new hires. All of this points a very damning picture of uh, what the mayor did, that she actually did it, and, and that her grounds are she thinks the people of Hushton can't handle a black person in a leadership position. And then you've got a city councilman defending the mayor, and his defense should be deeply, deeply troubling to every single person who is listening to my voice right now. So now we have, okay, let's see. People are calling in very sensitive to the fact that I've been saying Hushton. It's apparently Hushton, Hushton, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. If you don't like the fact that the rest of us look at the name of your town and say Hushton instead of Hushton, change the name of your town. It's like the people in Houston County, for God's sakes. It's spelled Houston. Is it any wonder people pronounce it Houston? I mean, I, I dare say maybe the mayor is right about what you people can handle over there if you're so outraged about me calling it Hushton instead of Hushton. Hushton. The people of Hushton want you to hush if you can't pronounce it Hushton. Still, you got a mayor over there who says you people can't handle a black administrator, so she didn't want him hired. That's what you should be outraged about, not my pronouncing of the name. And I got to read you this. This is another member of city council. This man, Councilman Cleveland, has this to say. I am a Christian, and my Christian beliefs are you don't do interracial marriage. That's the way I was brought up, and that's the way I believe. I have black friends. Ding, ding, ding. I hired black people. Ding, ding, ding. But when it comes to all that stuff you see on TV, when you see blacks and whites together, it makes my blood boil because that's just not the way a Christian is supposed to live. Oh, really? <laughs> You know who disagrees? Jesus of Nazareth, who taught that there is neither Jew nor Greek through the Apostle Paul's writings. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. Before God, we are all equal. Did you know that the early church was, it wasn't just Jewish. 
It was a hodgepodge group of people from all over the Roman Empire. You had uh, some of the first most prominent Christians were black. Uh, Augustine, for God's sakes, was from North Africa. Um, a lot of Coptic Christians were the very first Christians. The apostles went into Africa and India. Uh, this whole idea that, that Christians have to keep the race, that's not in the Bible. You know where that is? That's in your sin. And it's staggering to me. Someone would say that I'm a Christian, and so I believe this. That's embarrassing. Eric Erickson, the phone number is, well, my call screener turned off the phones temporarily because there were so many angry people calling about how you pronounce Hushton or Hushton or, or whatever we're going to say, Houston. Maybe the mayor is right that they can't handle having a black administrator. Uh, just uh, this whole thing is, is frustrating. And I'm going to deviate from the topics I wanted to talk about because I think this is more pressing. And I, I want to go back to Councilman Cleveland's remarks. If you're just tuning in, the mayor of Hushton, Houston, says uh, she decided she didn't want to hire someone as city administrator because they're black. Not because she thinks there's anything wrong with a black person, but she doesn't think the people of Hushton could handle a black person as city administrator, that the city is too white. And um, she has denied making the statements, but uh, there is a councilman, uh, Jim Cleveland, who has defended the mayor, confirming many aspects of the story and saying that she apologized and that she cried and that she wasn't necessarily wrong. He says, I understood where she's coming from. I understand Theresa saying that simply because we're not Atlanta, things are different here than they are 50 miles down the road. We're a predominantly white community. I don't know how they would take it if we selected a black administrator. She might have been right. I worked for AT&T for 31 years. I was a manager, probably hired over 100 people myself and never hired anyone over phone interview. So that's why he didn't want to hire uh, this person uh, who was black, not because he was black, but because it was a phone interview and he doesn't like phone interviews. But then he says this, I'm a Christian and my Christian beliefs are you don't do interracial marriage. That's the way I was brought up and that's the way I believe. I have black friends, I hired black people, but when it comes to all the stuff you see on TV, when you see blacks and whites together, it makes my blood boil because that's just not the way a Christian is supposed to live. Actually, it's exactly the way a Christian is supposed to live. Don't ask me, ask the apostle Paul who says there, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. Uh, we're all equal before the eyes of God. There are certain clear parameters there, and the clear parameters are that uh, men are to marry women and people in the church should marry people in the church. But on the racial guidelines, no. In fact, uh, the early church, we know from the archaeological data and the people who were there, the people writing at the time, it was exceedingly diverse. The early church was exceedingly diverse. It is, it's staggering to me that someone would say this, and he believes it. He, he believes it. These are his Christian beliefs, he says, except it has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with, with uh, Southern sin uh, before, during, and after the Civil War, polluting Christianity to try to justify slavery. Uh, the, the mark of, of Ham, the mark of Cain, the mark of whatever, uh, all sorts of justifications of sinners to justify their sin and the way we see a lot of people do it in popular culture today. But there's a problem here that we need to address that goes beyond this issue to another very serious issue where you hear similar language. The shooter at the synagogue in San Diego, 
is from a Christian family. He attended a Bible-believing, good Christian church uh, with an Orthodox Bible-believing pastor. And if you read any of his manifesto, I don't suggest you, and I'm intentionally not using his name, you would find he believes that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our one and only Lord and Savior, that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We need Christ in our lives. And without the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, we're all doomed. That's orthodox Christian belief. And then he twisted it ever so slightly that he needed to kill the Jews because they killed Jesus. You know, the Jews have been battling this for a very long time. It just happens that that Jesus was a Jew. Um, If Jesus was, I don't know, uh, South African, we'd be hearing about how the South Africans killed Jesus because he he went where he was, where where God's people were. Um, It was also the Romans were complicit in it as well. It wasn't just the Jews. The point is not that the Jews killed Jesus, but sinners killed Jesus. And yet this guy wrapped it in his head, despite having all sorts of orthodox, Bible-believing, honest, genuine Christian values that the Jews... Jews were to blame in the same way the city councilman believes that the Bible says that that white people and black people should not be friends, let alone intermarry. And it's really a damning indictment on the American Christian church that we have people who believe these things in the church. And not to get on my soapbox here, but you know, I've kind of fallen out of seminary at the moment just because I've developing all these things and I got to get back to it. I miss it terribly. And I need to get back to RTS in Marietta. Um, I really do. And I'm looking forward to being able to take classes again soon. But you, you go to class and you see this wonderfully diverse group of people. And one of the things that we talk about is expository preaching. And if you go to a, a traditional church, you'll hear it where you work your way through a book of the Bible explaining things. And I do think to some degree there's something to be said for it, that becoming an idol within the church. And I don't mean that they should go out and they should give the, these uh, Joel Austin-style pep talk speeches. No, I, I'm thinking once a month maybe a church needs to set aside and, and actually talk about some doctrine as opposed to just working your way incrementally through a book of the Bible. Uh, we're clearly failing at doctrine. We're clearly failing failing at a real biblical understanding of the Bible in a lot of churches in this country where you can have a, a young man be at a Bible-believing church, his father an elder of a church, and and pollute his views of Christianity that are sound views of Christianity, but pollute it and twist it with racism and anti-Semitism, stuff he read on the internet, polluting his face with it, faith with it. Or you could have a city councilman in Georgia say he's a Christian and his Christian beliefs are that black and white people can't uh, be friends or get married, or however he said it. None of this is scriptural. And yet there are people who believe these things and believe that they're in scripture because they read about it on the internet. Churches in this country, these incidents should be a wake-up call to all of you. You should all wake up and realize we're failing at basic education of Christian thought and doctrine in our churches. And you should ask yourself why. And don't say not my church, because I assure you that the pastor of the church in California with the kid was thinking not his church. In fact, he's written very eloquently about it, about how he, in some degree, feels he's failed as a pastor. 
And so don't say not my church. Realize that this is a growing problem within the church in the United States, and it largely has to do with a laziness within the church community we need to fight. Well, after some impressive numbers last week in the stock market, uh, looks like the stock market is not liking the president's expansion of tariffs. Uh, you know, the price of a dishwasher and washing machine in this country are now both up on average of $200 because of the president's trade war. He's, he's convinced that it's working, and a lot of his supporters are convinced that it's working. I think it's just raising prices on your average American. Even the price of beer has gone up because the price of aluminum has gone up due to the tariffs. Um, whether or not people feel in their pocketbooks, I don't know. I need to get Chris Burns to come back in here and, and talk about tariffs with me. Uh, also, if you know Rachel Held Evans, she and I disagreed on pretty much everything. Uh, progressive Christian writer. Uh, she passed away over the weekend. Very sad news. Please keep her family in your prayers. And I do appreciate your uh, prayers as well. 